this is Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And you are listening to Rainbow Soul Channel Blake Network. Okay, today's topic is the pertussis vaccine. If the pertussis vaccine is ineffective, what, pray tell, is the answer? And so as you know, I often get my news from reliable source, Medscape Family Medicine. This is the uh, doctor information network where they send anywhere from 1 to 20 emails a day to your doctor's inbox. And they have one for family medicine in every specialty, so of course your doctor hears from them. And so Paul Offit, MD, this is a pro-vaccine physician, says that... Uh, the pertussis vaccine is not effective. So let's see what he has to say and see if we can't sort this out with, of course, some commentary from me along the way and a big dose of curiosity. So this is uh, Dr. Offit. He's uh, at the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Now that's where I trained, University of Pennsylvania. And there's a paper that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Pediatrics credible source, titled Epidemiological and Economic Effects of Priming with the Whole Cell Bordadella Pertussis Vaccine. Pretty obscure sounding title, in fact, almost uh, incomprehensible with all the big words. But what they're saying is, geez, do we have to start with a different vaccine, the whole cell vaccine, because the acellular vaccine is not working? So Dr. Offit says, before the pertussis vaccines began in the United States in the 40s, there were 8,000 deaths from whooping cough every year, primarily in children, in other words, some adults. With the introduction of that vaccine, there was a dramatic decrease in the incidence of both death and disease. So what he's suggesting here is that the pertussis disease is associated with death. All right. So the vaccine made using the whole bacteria, meaning the bacteria was grown in a medium, then both the bacteria and the toxins produced by the bacteria were killed with an inactivating agent like formaldehyde, and then of course it was injected into the, ch ch the child. Okay. So though the whole cell pertussis vaccine worked very well, it had a difficult safety profile. In other words, it wasn't safe. So it could cause high fever, high-pitched crying, seizures, and hypotonic hyporesponsive syndrome. In other words, that means basically paralysis and floppiness of the kid. There was a push then to the so-called acellular pertussis vaccine, meaning it was not made from the whole bacteria. And the vaccine was made using two to five proteins from the pertussis bacteria, but not the pertussis bacteria itself. So it was much safer, but get this, also a less effective vaccine. Now, they're saying less effective, but you tell me what this next couple of sentences mean. Since the acellular pertussis vaccine was introduced, we have seen an increase in cases of whooping cough. So there's been an increase in the cases of whooping cough since this acellular vaccine was used. 
Now he's attributing it, he says, in part, in other words, not in whole, but partly because of the less effective acellular vaccine. Well, if it's not due to the less effectiveness of the vaccine, what could it be due to? Why is there an increase in pertussis? So if the vaccine is just as effective, that's the other uh, option, but we're seeing more pertussis, then does that mean more pertussis is being introduced into the population? And if so, where is it coming from? Those would be good questions. So as we transition from the whole cell vaccine to purified protein vaccine, some children received only the whole cell vaccine, some received only the acellular vaccine, and some received a combination. The study looked at what happened to uh, these children. So some received an old vaccine, some received the new vaccine, and some received the old one, then the new one. Okay. So they found that the people who received, the children who received the whole cell vaccine first, then finished the series with the acellular vaccine, had a much better immune response. Using mathematical modeling, this group determined that using a single dose of the whole cell vaccine to start with, then following with the acellular vaccine for booster doses, will result in a 95% reduction in the incidence of disease, as well as a 96% reduction in the incidence of disease in neonates. Now, this is just a theoretical mathematical modeling paper. What does that mean? That means no actual humans were involved in the study. Yes. So it would be tough to move back to the whole cell vaccine because of the perception that it caused permanent harm, like seizures and developmental delays. Read, I mean, the modern day term for it is autism, but back then we just called it mental retardation. Although that wasn't true, so now he's telling you that wasn't true, we would struggle against that perception of harm. It is an interesting thought, and certainly if we were to do it, we would be better off than we are today. Now, so he's talking about a perception of harm, but not an actual harm. This is at the end of his um, discussion. But in the middle of the discussion, he says that this vaccine is much safer. Well, if it's much safer, that means the harm was not perceived, it was actual, because there's a reduction in the harm with the newer, but less effective, vaccine. So he tells you in the body of his discussion that the old vaccine with the cells was very harmful. The newer vaccine is much safer, that means less harmful. And then he goes on to say the harm from the old vaccine was imaginary. So since he's taking both sides of the road here, then we can pick what we want to believe. So I'm going to believe that the old vaccine was actually pretty harmful and the newer vaccine is less harmful. So what we're talking about here is a DPT because the P, pertussis, does not come alone. It's DPT. So let's take a look here. I got curious. I said, let's take a look at the whooping cough. How much whooping cough is there really? Well, if we go to the cdc.gov site, uh, what we're finding, and this is what they say, side effects do occur. They are usually mild, like redness, swelling, and pain from the shot, fever, and vomiting. 
So fever, vomiting, pain, and redness. Okay? Now, if someone else walked up to your child and caused him to be red, swelling, and in pain, we would call that assault. Maybe even child abuse. And you as a parent would be well within your rights to, well, defend your child. So this is actually pretty pretty serious. In other words, most parents don't stand by idly and allow their kid to become red, swollen, and painful. Okay, got that. Then the shot also causes fever and vomiting. Now, let's just take a look at this fever thing. This is the same fever that if you landed on a plane from Africa, you'd be accused of having Ebola and get quarantined for 21 days. So fever is not a trivial side effect. And now we have this whole Zika scare and various other scares. So people who have fevers uh, can be subject to uh, severe government action. So let's take a look then. <laughs> let's take a look and see what else. Fever and vomiting. Okay, again, uh, the only thing missing here is diarrhea. And this, these are classic Ebola symptoms. And so basically we have a shot that gives you classic Ebola symptoms and Zika symptoms too. And they happen to about one child out of every four who get the shot. In other words, 25%. Remember that number, 25%. And so um, sample side effects, fever over 105 degrees, nonstop crying for three hours or more, and seizures. And say so if you have any of these three symptoms, then uh, of course call your doctor. The CDC recommends a tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis shot for everyone 11 years and older. That's a TDP, which is a lower dose of pertussis. Now, back when I was uh, training, back in the 80s, the dark ages, yes, the DPT, which is uh, the one they give little kids now who are under the age of five, or used to give little kids under the age of five, was felt to be necessary for children because, of course... Uh, we're protecting them against deadly diseases. But you could not give it to anyone over seven because it could cause anaphylactic reaction and death in a large number of people. So you never, ever gave the protestant shot to anyone over the age of seven. And so instead, what was given was something called a DT, diphtheria tetanus, never, never pertussis. And so now the CDC is recommending a pertussis shot for everyone over 11. Why? They have the safer pertussis shot, which, of course, according to Dr. Offit, is not effective. And they're uh, uh, suggesting this for pregnant women as well. So this shot for older children and, and adults is called capital T, that means tetanus, small DAP. And so I said to myself, well, how important is this shot? Answer, because of the vaccine, the number of cases of pertussis is less than 20 per year. Or number of deaths, I'm sorry, is less than 20 per year. Okay, so less than 20 per year, we can guess the number of deaths has been pretty steady. 20 per year deaths in a country of 318 million people. All right, so we're talking about literally uh, less than one in, you know, one in, one in 60 million, or one in, one in six million. So, this is, uh, this, this is not a very frequent uh, event. So, I'm sorry, 1 in 15 million. So 1 in 15 million people dies every year from uh, pertussis. But 
This is a CDC website. Cases of whooping cough have been increasing over the past several years. And outbreaks of whooping cough have happened. We don't know why the number of cases is increasing, but we think it's a combination of many different reasons. Now get this, the number of deaths is not increasing. The number of cases is increasing. So what that tells you then is the number of cases and the number of deaths are not related. In other words, whooping cough is not a deadly illness. While there may be people who have died, we can't say the deaths are related to whooping cough because the number of cases is going up, 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 and the number of deaths is not. Okay. And so the reason the cases are increasing, one, more people than ever are being vaccinated, yet there is more disease. Okay, so the number of cases is increasing, but the, the death number is not. So those who die have been vaccinated. So this is a sure uh, indication that the vaccines are not effective. And so if you check the CDC, they say, well, from 2000 through 2014, there are 277 deaths. That would be 18.46 deaths a year, call it 20. Chances of dying in the first year of life from this illness is 19 in 3.1 million. That's 1 in 209,000. This is guessing that all the deaths occurred in the first year of life. So I'm being pretty generous here. In other words, 1 in 209,000. So a child's chances of dying in the first year of life of all causes is 6 per thousand. Even if children were to get a vaccine to prevent every last one of these cases, if children were to get a vaccine to prevent 1 in 209,000 events, then that means each child would need to get 1,276 vaccines in the first year of life just to prevent this death rate of 6 per thousand. If you think 1,276 vaccines in the first year of life is unreasonable, then you logically conclude that getting the pertussis shot is not reasonable. That would come down to 1.4 pounds of injections in the first year of life into a baby that's 10 pounds. So can you imagine taking in one-tenth of your body weight in shots? That's a lot of shots. So then we have the admission the vaccine is not effective for those 19 deaths each year. Well, if the vaccine is not effective for those less than three months of age, is it effective for those more than three months of age? In other words, if persons more than three months of age they tend not to die pertussis, even if they're not vaccinated. This is an interesting thing then. So 20 in 30,000 deaths in 2014, uh, that's like uh, 0.67 per thousand. In other words, infant mortality, deaths in the first year of life, is six per thousand. So theoretically, if pertussis were eradicated, it would reduce the infant mortality by not even 10%. But the vaccine is not effective. So, the unvaccinated people over three months of age are not dying, and the vaccinated are not dying. Therefore, we have to say the vaccine is not effective at any age. So, the, if we take a look, look at 2015, there were 3.9 million babies born. Almost all the deaths, 241 of the 277 pertussis deaths, 
or in babies younger than three months of age. These are babies who are too young to be protected against whooping cough by getting the shots. So then the pertussis or whooping cough shot, you, you can't make a case for recommending it. And so I said to my, this, this question came up back when I was practicing medicine. I said, well, if we, if we don't want to give the um, pertussis shot, or the pertussis shot is not effective because the disease is so rare, nobody has it, and the people who do have it are too young, and they succumb to it, then why give the shot? And so the senior doctor said to me, well, it's not just a pertussis shot, Dr. Daniels. There is diphtheria and tetanus, of course. I said, oh, okay, so we're going to protect against those two as well. Okay, gotcha. However, let's take a look. From 2001 to 2008, uh, that's an eight-year period, there were only 233 cases of tetanus and 26 deaths. Now, you can say, well, the case mortality rate is 10%, but number of cases, 233 in a country of 318 million. So this disease affects fewer than one in a million people. So the question is, why have so few people died of tetanus? Is it because the shot is so effective it confers immunity? This quote comes from, I kid you not, .gov website itself. This is tetanus. In addition, increased rural, that means country, to urban, that means city, migration with decreased exposure to tetanus spores contributed to the decline in tetanus mortality noted during the first half of the 20th century. In other words, most Americans are not tending cattle and getting doused with cattle manure covered in Clostridium tetani, which is the tetanus organism. So it seems the tetanus shot is totally ineffective. Not only is it ineffective, but unnecessary. The reason that no one is dying of tetanus or has tetanus is because people simply are not exposed to it. And so if you've never been exposed to tetanus during your lifetime, then what would be the reason for a tetanus shot? It can't possibly be effective because, of course, the person is never exposed to tetanus. Okay, so now we've got the pertussis part of the DPT, the P part, pertussis, is ineffective because the target population that's dying is too young for the shot to cause immunity, three months and under. The tetanus part of the DPT is irrelevant because most babies don't live on farms where cows are raised. So we have the pertussis part irrelevant, the tetanus part irrelevant. Well, surely... Diphtheria must be important. Let's, well, first of all, let's finish up with tetanus. So case classification. So it turns out there is no definition for confirmed tetanus. No definition for confirmed tetanus. The only case classification for tetanus is probable. And probable means a clinically compatible case as reported by a healthcare professional, that would be a nurse or a doctor. That's it. There's no scientific definition for confirmed tetanus. No test to confirm it. Next, diabetes may be a risk factor for tetanus. 
and outbreaks among tetanus of tetanus among drug injection drug users have occurred. And this is the first time I've heard it done by the medical industrial complex. It should be done more often. If you're diabetic and you're using a needle for your diabetes medication, you're basically a drug user. You're an IV drug, or I should say a needle-based addict. And your risk of tetanus ranks right up there with the heroin users, even though your needle may be classified as clean. So, what you're saying then, this is the government, disease reduction and vaccine coverage goals, since herd immunity does not play a role in protecting individuals against tetanus, get this, herd immunity does not play a role in protecting people against tetanus. Why? It's not spread person to person. So a vaccine against tetanus, me getting vaccine, vaccinated against tetanus or not having tetanus cannot help the next person stop getting tetanus because you have to get tetanus from a fomite. What's a fomite? A fomite is an inanimate object contaminated with tetanus, usually a rusty nail. But even then, it still has to be a nail that's been exposed to cow manure. And so what they're saying is since there's no herd immunity, virtually all persons must be vaccinated in order to achieve this goal. Well, that's not true. Since there's no herd immunity, then there is no social responsibility to be vaccinated against tetanus because you're not being vaccinated does not constitute an increased risk to the next person. That actually is the truth here. What they're saying is since the government wants to eradicate this and they have their goals and their reasons, that everybody has to get immunized in order to, uh, for this goal to be reached, which of course is not true if the frequency of this disease uh, Tetanus is less than one in a million. All right. So Healthy People 2010, that's the goal, for tetanus was to eliminate all tetanus cases among persons under age 35 years in the United States. Now, if the vaccine is not effective, if the elimination of tetanus is because people moved to cities and just weren't exposed to tetanus anymore, then there's no evidence that vaccinating people would eradicate tetanus. The only way you could do that is to get people off the farms. So you'd have no people working on farms and therefore no people exposed to cow manure. And so the United States, uh, 56 non-neonatal cases under 35 years were reported from 2001 to 2008. So let's do the math. That's eight years, 35 cases in eight years, four cases a year in a population of 318 million people, I say that's pretty close to eradication. All right, that brings us to diphtheria, because there's three pieces to this shot. Diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus, DPT. So we've dispensed with tetanus. Uh, the tetanus vaccine is, is irrelevant. It's uh, no evidence it's effective, because most people were never exposed to tetanus anyway, so the vaccine has never had a chance to be tested or effective. Um, pertussis, we know the vaccine is not effective because the incidence of pertussis is rising even as the number and percentage of people vaccinated is rising. So this vaccine is clearly not effective. All right. So we have two components that are not effective. Let's take a look at diphtheria. Well, in 2014, there was one case of diphtheria in the United States. One case of diphtheria. 
And you've got to read this carefully. Remember, we're talking about a vaccine-preventable disease, which is perceived to be contagious. Dayton, Ohio, and this is uh, 2014, April 29th. A girl in southwest Ohio was diagnosed this month with diphtheria, an illness that has been extremely rare in the United States since children started being vaccinated in the 20s, health officials said. She was diagnosed after being hospitalized with symptoms similar to strep throat. The girl was released from the hospital earlier this month and may have contracted the illness despite being fully vaccinated. Excuse me, excuse me, question over here. Where did she catch this disease from? Which individual or person did she catch the disease from? If this is a contagious disease. Remember, this is the only case of pertussis. In a very long time. So let's take a look here. See what they say. Anyone getting diphtheria in the United States is rare, said Dr. Thomas Hertzlein. Okay, so we have a doctor giving a quote, the expert. Medical director for the health department serving Dayton and Montgomery County. The bottom line is that we know the vaccine is highly effective. The possibility is that this was a vaccine failure. Wait a minute. Whoa, back up. The only case of diphtheria was in a vaccinated child? The illness, once a major cause of death among children, is rare. According to Centers for Disease Control, fewer than five cases were reported in the United States in the past 10 years. So fewer than five cases in 10 years. And that would be fewer than two cases a year. In other words, this one case was in a vaccinated person. This would only make sense if fewer than 50% of people were vaccinated. Then we can just say the other case that happened that year was unvaccinated. Let's be that generous. So the vaccination rate for diphtheria is more than half then we'd have to say that the diphtheria shot is, is definitely not effective. So the Ohio Department of Health said diphtheria spread through close contact with discharges from an infected person's nose, throat, eyes, or skin. Skin lesions. So if they don't have a hole or break in their skin oozing something, then you're not going to catch diphtheria from your skin. Symptoms which usually appear five days after infection include fever, sore throat, and fatigue. Well, so it seems to me you could just simply check out who this kid was in contact with in the past five years. Five, I'm sorry, five days, and who could have spread this disease to her. But no such investigation took place. This was the whole, uh, oh wait, death occurs in about 5 to 10% of all cases, according to the state health department. However, Serious complications such as paralysis, sounds like polio to me, heart failure, and blood disorders may follow if the disease goes untreated. Many of you will be interested to know that the treatment for diphtheria is uh, is supportive care. As a precaution, family members and others with those close proximity to the girl were treated for diphtheria. No other cases have been reported and officials don't expect others. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This kid got diphtheria. She had to get it from someplace. So her 
everyone who had any proximity to her was treated for diphtheria. And we presume they were also tested, and they all tested negative. So in other words, in this one case, we'll call it sporadic, there's no evidence of person-to-person contact. Another reason that the concept of getting um, vaccinated makes no sense, because these are diseases where there's absolutely no evidence of person-to-person contact. Why do we know there's no person-to-person contact? Because the cases are sporadic. And in each case, it's not possible to identify the contact that was carrying the disease or had the disease and spread it to, um, to the index case. All right. So we take a look then at our... Um, There are surveillance done by the CDC. Again, we're going to take all their numbers. So reported cases and deaths from vaccine-preventable diseases, United States, up to 2013. So let's just take a look. 2013, okay. So in 2012, I'm very sorry, we don't want that. We don't want hepatitis. Uh, let's see, tetanus, a hot diphtheria, tetanus. In all of 2013, well, let's be, let's put it this way. There were no deaths from diphtheria from 2004 up to 2013, the last year for which numbers were available. Zero deaths and zero cases. So this is 2016. So in 12 years, not one case of diphtheria and not one death from diphtheria. So we can, we can I think, reasonably say the D part of the DPT is irrelevant. Diphtheria. Don't need it. All right. There was one case in 2012. We just read in the paper one in 2014. Again, no deaths. Let's take a look at tetanus. In tetanus... Uh, there were 26 cases in 2010 and three deaths. 29 of 2009, there were 18 cases and six deaths. But again, a country of 318 million, uh, even if the vaccine did work, we're looking at preventing three deaths a year. Let's look at pertussis. Pertussis, there was one death in 2013, they think, they're not sure. Oh my God. <laughs> the person who died of. Oh, I'm sorry, let's look at pertussis. So, pertussis, there was no deaths in 2013, 2012, or 2011. There were 27,550 cases of pertussis in 2009 with 26 deaths. In other words, the death rate was less than 1 in 1,000 for the people who actually had pertussis. In other words, even if you're an infant, having pertussis does not increase your chances of death because infant mortality in the United States is six per thousand. The mortality for someone infected with pertussis is one per thousand. And so what this means then is you have a greater chance of dying if you're a baby without pertussis than if you're a baby with pertussis. Not something we want to eradicate, I would think. 
And then 2009, 16,000 cases, 15 deaths. So the ratio of 1,000 to 1 holds pretty well there. And then we have uh, 2008, there's 13,000 cases and 20 deaths. And 2007, 10,000 cases and 9 deaths. And so what we're finding is that the cases are greatly increased. Now, if we look at the wholesale way back um, in the 90s is when the switch was made. First of all, in 1989-1990, there were 12 deaths from pertussis. And then it went down to 0, 5, 1, 8. So in 1994, there were 8 deaths from pertussis and only 4,000 cases. So the case fatality rate was more or less 1 per 500. So the high case fatality rate relatively, but still uh, low numbers. They went to the, um, the acellular pertussis in the late 90s, and we see um, in 2003, actually 2000, actually 2000 um, the number of pertussis cases went from 7,000 to 25,000 in 2004, to 27,000 in 2010, and to 28,000 in 2013. So pertussis cases are definitely rising. And so this is what Dr. Arthur is talking about when he's saying that the vaccine is not effective. And we can almost say that the disease might be getting spread by the vaccine. Again, the real problem here is there's no identification as to the reservoir of pertussis. Where does pertussis come from? And it's not clear that this pattern is because of the change in vaccines. One thing is for sure is the vaccine is, is absolutely not, uh, not effective. So we have this, we have a vaccine, diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus, which are simply not effective. So there's no person-to-person -person spread of tetanus. Um, we know that because it's caused by Clostridium uh, tetani an organism grows in cow feces. And when people moved to cities, of course, no one got infected because they weren't exposed to this uh, organism. So that's the tetanus. The diphtheria we know is not person-to-person -person spread just because it's characterized by isolated cases. There are no diphtheria outbreaks, only isolated cases. So diphtheria is not something that can be, um, whose spread can be stopped by vaccination, even if the vaccine works. And then finally, um, we have uh, pertussis, and we see that despite vaccination, despite vaccinating more and more children, there are actually more and more people. There are more and more children or people who are being affected and more people are dying. So what to do? What is the answer? And for this, we're going to go check out Dr. Offit. We're going to see what Dr. Offit says. And we'll see, actually, I'm sorry, what the CDC says. The CDC says, CDC says, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Get your shot in the third trimester of every pregnancy. So every woman, every pregnant woman should get a tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis shot during the third trimester of every pregnancy. And now, this is against the disease, tetanus, that she's never been exposed to because she hasn't been um, working with cows on a farm. 
uh, diphtheria, which we know is sporadic, not person-to-person spread, and pertussis, for which you know the shot is, effect- is not effective. So the answer is, if you know the shot's not effective, then make sure every pregnant woman gets it in the third trimester. All right, so that's one recommendation. Next, make sure your baby gets all of his doses of DTAP on time. So even though with our increased vaccination success rate, we see an increase in the frequency of this infection, we want to make sure we give even more shots. And next, encourage everyone who will be in contact with your baby to be up to date on their whooping cough vaccine. That would be pertussis. Even though we see that increased vaccination of the population against pertussis is associated with more pertussis. And so the answer, of course, is even more vaccination. And of course, this is the kind of logic that leads to um, 880,000 people dying each year from the medical care they receive. If the care is ineffective, then the next thing to do is do not uh, stop it. For God's sake, in fact, increase it. All right. So that's the medical industrial complex. That's their view of it. Of course, as you might imagine, I have a different perspective on this. First of all, at what point does a hazard rise to the level that the government has the authority to compel citizens to take measures against it? There's a question. So at what point does a hazard rise to the level that the government has the authority to override a citizen's personal freedom and choice to take measures against the hazard? Let's just take a look. Let's do car accidents, right? Car accidents. 44,000 car accidents a year. The government has seatbelt laws, brake light laws, certain safety laws for the vehicle. Okay, so that's 44,000 deaths a year. If we look at all these vaccine-preventable diseases and total up all the deaths combined, you will not find a death toll of 44,000. Just one. I'm looking through the death column here. There's a lot of zeros. Yep. So, in the area of vaccines, we don't see a corresponding hazard. So let's take um, a look at um, homicide. 26,000 homicide deaths in 2013. The government has a law saying that, you know, it's against the law to kill people. There's a law against homicide, for what it's worth. Um, But still, that's 26,121 deaths. And so the government has seen fit to make laws against this hazard, homicide. Well, still, the vaccine deaths don't rise to that level. So for vaccines, the authority or compulsory intervention is all out of proportion to the threat. Now here's another thing. 25% of children vaccinated will experience side effects as defined by the CDC itself. Well, that's 250,000 per million will be harmed so that one case per million might be avoided or one life per million might be saved. But wait, but wait, no lives are being saved since the death rate's not going down. Yet, at best, one in one million will benefit. Sounds like a program for harm. So why harm 250,000 people? 
these, these kids are people. Why harm 250,000 people to possibly, in other words, not really, save one? Sounds like a pretty bad deal to me. So get this. If a child gets 10 shots, 10 jabs, he has a 225% chance of being harmed. In other words, 100% of people being vaccinated are actually being harmed. You know, I used to um, give vaccines in the clinic when I was um, training and um, early in my practice. And a kid comes in for a, a visit for his shots, and that kid can get two or three shots per visit. And you're talking about these shots at age two months, four months, and six months. Don't forget the one-year shots. And you can easily get over 10 needles. Now, some of these needles have three different um, diseases they protect against. But I'm just talking about the needle pokes. And so, in other words, 100% of these kids are going to have fever, pain, redness, or swelling, or seizures. So the question is, what's the goal? Why why the vaccination? Are we trying to have as many people reach adulthood as possible? Have a high percentage of people reach adulthood? Um, have larger families? Have as many healthy people as possible? Maintain the present population? Have as few damaged, handicapped children or adults as possible? If, if we're trying to achieve those goals, then the vaccine does none of these. So we can see, uh, just because the vaccines cause seizure disorders and other types of disability, that uh, having a global vaccination policy is not going to help people reach adulthood because we can see that these vaccines are not preventing death from these diseases. Next, uh, these vaccines are not promoting fertility and they're not reducing infant mortality because infant mortality is the number of people who die between the age of zero birth and one year of age. And right now that number is at six per thousand. These vaccine preventable diseases don't even kill one per thousand of the whole population. They barely kill one per thousand of those who actually get the infection. So in other words, if these vaccine preventable diseases were eradicated, it would not affect infant mortality. It would not have more children being healthy and living into adulthood, even if they worked, because the diseases against which they are targeted are so rare. How about having as many healthy people as possible? That doesn't happen when you harm 250,000 per million or worse, 100% of those who get the vaccine. That's not possible. And also maintaining the present population. We know vaccines aren't doing that because the uh, fertility rate, birth rate is falling. And then have as few damaged or handicapped children as possible. Vaccines are not achieving that. If you believe that vaccines do not cause autism, that might be the case, but they're certainly not preventing autism. So the frequency of autism is rising, rising, rising despite vaccines. So vaccines are not preventing autism. They're not preventing diseases against which they were designed. And so there is no compelling reason for um, a benevolent government to compel their use. So what, what could be done? If the goal then is to have as many people reach adulthood in the best possible health, what 
what could be done? Well, you can increase the birth rate, by golly, yes. The birth rate is 12.5 per thousand population. That's pretty low. Um, the fertility rate is 62.9 births per thousand women aged 15 to 44 years. It's pretty low, too. And so, low birth weight babies, 8%. Preterm babies, 9.6%. Percent. percent unmarried, 40%. And average age at first birth, 26%. Here's the problem. So, peak fertility for a woman is, is age 25. So, obviously, these ladies need to start having babies at an earlier age when they're more fertile, when they can have babies, and if you have more pregnancies, more live births, more healthy adults. Easy. What else? I've talked to um, people who don't have children. I've talked to my children who don't have children. They say, Mom, I'm waiting to get married. Hmm. And to that I say, don't wait for marriage. Marriage is just permission from the government. Permission from God doesn't come in the form of a $35 tax and paperwork. It's like selling tickets to heaven. God doesn't work through bureaucrats. So, just go ahead and have grandkids. That's just my personal position, um, not necessarily a medical one. However, if the goal, if the government's goal is to have a larger population of healthy children, then the easiest way to accomplish that is simply have more live births. The one way to, copy, to accomplish that would be to uh, encourage people to have ch children at a younger age. The mean age at first birth of 26.3 means that half of all uh, ladies are attempting or becoming pregnant after um, their reproductive years are largely um, spent, basically. So if the government has a goal of having as many healthy people as possible, having larger, healthier families, then vaccines do not achieve any of those goals. And I think it would be important to understand exactly what the goals are to an immunization program. <laughs> so, uh, so peak fertility is a problem. It's at 25, and women aren't getting pregnant until 26. Um, so they have children earlier, have more children. That would solve this problem. Uh, the other end, the output, which is having more healthy adults, healthy citizens. Now, the other thing that we solved if we got rid of vaccinations is this harm, 100% harm. That's a lot of harm. Um, you know, maybe the kid's not permanently damaged, but it's, it is harmful. When you create a condition in a child where he's red, swollen, feverish, and having seizures, that's not good. I think if any um, parent created a situation where his kid was red, swollen, and had seizures, the government would have them arrested for uh, child abuse. So, that is what I think. So the government says pertussis vaccines, I should say the government, Dr. Office says pertussis vaccines are not effective. The government numbers show the same thing. I say if it's not effective, stop doing it. They say if it's not effective, do more of it. What can I say? A difference of opinion. Okay, so we have a testimonial from the chat room. I told my son that the greatest joy I ever had was having babies and raising them. 
I didn't want him to miss out on that. He now has three beautiful children. I second that. I've done a lot of things in my life. Graduated from Harvard, won all kinds of scholarships and awards, won trips all over the United States, graduated from medical school, graduated from Wharton Business School, started my own business, bought a city block, built an office on it, uplifted a whole neighborhood, and I tell you, my greatest accomplishment is having and raising three children. I have to agree with that. And when I talk to young women today, and they tell me, oh, I don't want to just have babies. I don't want to be a mother. I don't want to fill in the blank. I tell them, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things in my life, and that has really been the most rewarding experience. Okay. And you got a dairy egg producing animal. Sure. Dr. Danis, can you get a dairy or egg producing animal but prevent your vet from giving these animals vaccines? Well, you fire the vet. You don't have a vet. Or is vet care... Okay, so is vet care as forceful in their treatments, vaccines, and vets as human health care? Yes. So these veterinarians are compelled to um, offer vaccines. And so you simply have to fire your vet. So the question is, can you get veterinary care but refuse vaccines? The answer is no. But again, if the animal can't make it through life without vet care, do you really want to eat that one? So I say, you know, get a few more ahead of whatever than what you need, let them run wild, fend for themselves, and you'll have the um, highest nutritional value of the animal, you know, if you choose to eat animals. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So someone in the chat room. Oh, so people have questions. This is our question and answer period. You can click the question button. Meanwhile, I'm going to go see if I can find the... Um... Like radio screen. Aha, uh -huh, there it is. Okay. Oh, I have a question. Hi, your name and your question, please. Dan in oh, Texas. Hi, Dan. How are you? What's your question? How are you, Doc? Pretty good. I want to see how you would address this. <clears throat> if I don't get this question out correctly, uh, please correct it for mm -hmm. me. But I'm anti-vaccine, and mm -hmm. I talk to people, and they say, well, but if we had a moratorium on vaccines and we quit giving vaccines, then all these diseases that they are being vaccinated against would significantly rise. That's not true. As I said today, the um, tetanus, the reason there's no tetanus is people are not living on farms. 
And so it's the migration from the farms to the city that got rid of tetanus, even though we gave vaccines. And this is on the government's own website. That's number one. Number two, the um, person or the people who are getting um, diphtheria are one case sporadic cases, which means these people are not getting diphtheria from other people. And as we increase our vaccine rates, what's happening is these diseases are increasing. And so what's happening now is either the vaccines are not effective, number one, or number two, they're causing the very diseases that they are pretending to protect us from. Either way, they should be stopped, right? If they're causing the disease or if they're not helping to prevent it, then what's the point of taking them? All right. Thank you, Doc. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, your name and your question. Hi, you're on the air. Did I want? Yes. What's your question? Okay. Guess we got a bad connection there. Hi, your question? Hello? Okay, I think it's the new person. Hi, your name and your question? Hi, Dr. Daniels. My name is Tanya. Uh-huh. And my question is, how would one deal with a condition that seems to be uh, psychosomatic, um, mm-hmm. not quite knowing, not getting answers, and they know, obviously it's manifested into something physical, right. but not knowing what, how to, what avenue to take, you knowing that partially is like mind, mm-hmm. and but it's, like I said, it's a manifestation physically. How, how would a person deal with that? Well, the question is, who has the symptoms and who thinks it's psychosomatic? Mm. If the person who has the symptoms and the person who thinks it's psychosomatic... Um, so, I don't understand the question. So the question is, you're, you, have, you have symptoms. You're going to a doctor. The doctor's saying it's all on your mind. And all the tests are negative. Is that basically what we're talking about? Yeah, even though that there are physical manifestations of something going on. Yes, physical symptoms, but all the tests are negative. Classic, classic parasites. Classic parasites. Um, We doctors are trained to um, attribute that to the person's psychosomatic, they're crazy, and this was a big problem with um, illnesses like fibromyalgia. So people had these symptoms of pain or fatigue, um, but they were told, hey, you know, your, your blood tests are normal, your x-rays are normal, everything's normal, so you must be crazy. Go home and be a better wife, be a better mother, um, and this will all clear up. And so now we realize that all of these conditions that we used to just throw in the wastebasket of psychosomatic, they really do, uh, they really are problems, they are real, and they're parasites. I would recommend that you go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash candida and download the free report and give it a try. 
Okay. And I guess I we can use it for until symptoms are completely um, diminished? Yeah, it's just very safe. It's a remedy that was used, um, you know, hundreds, even thousands of years ago. And I uh, rediscovered it back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. When I was practicing medicine, I had people who had incurable um, conditions, and they there was nothing that could be done to diagnose them. And so I'd try them on uh, turpentine, and they would get better. And so I started using it more and more and found it was extremely helpful for a lot of conditions. So go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash candida. You can find the free report there. And then I also do provide... Um, you know, individualized coaching, helping people um, to apply the remedy to their particular condition. And people, people can click on Discovery Session to find out more um, about that. All right, we have questions. 90 seconds. Um, okay. We have 90 seconds left. Let's see. How can you prevent deaths that haven't happened? Exactly. So if, you, if, they, if someone was never going to die in the first place, then it's difficult to establish an intervention would have prevented death. 60 seconds. And that's what's going on with vaccines. As vaccines are being given for conditions that are simply not deadly. And if a child's chances of dying in the first year of life are six per thousand, and his chances of dying if infected with one of these diseases is one per thousand, then why prevent it? Um, because having the disease actually decreases his chances of dying. So there you have it. As always, think happens, and we will see you again next week. Next week, you've got to come next week, I'm telling you. Doctors respond to the article that um, healthcare is the third leading cause of death. And this is a hoot not to be missed. We'll see you next Tuesday.